Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. All right. I have an announcement to start this show off with. There is a live event going down here in Indianapolis on Saturday, November 9th. Well, first of all, there's a big marathon going down, the Beyond Monumental Marathon on Saturday morning. Uh, But there is also a live event going on that Saturday after the race. Doors will open at 5.30 p.m. And I'm hosting a live event with both Dina Castor and Sally McRae, two of the most influential podcast guests in my life that I've ever talked to on the show. These women speak truth, and I cannot wait for this community to come together and experience such a special night together. This is probably an event that I'm more excited about than any event I've ever done. So tickets will be up any day now. Make sure you're subscribed to my email list because you will be the first people notified if you're subscribed. And I do anticipate this event selling out. So head over to lindsayhine.com. When you go to the website, there'll be a little pop-up screen that says subscribe to the newsletter. And you can subscribe and you'll get that information at least 12 hours before I release it to everybody else on social media. And yeah, don't worry. I will be blasting that all over social media as well. Find me on Instagram, lindsayhine626, so you can keep up to date on any kind of announcements and things like that. So yeah, I've been wanting to announce that for a while and I was just firming a few things up. So I hope that if you're coming to town for the half or the full or the 5K for a monumental that you can join us for the event. And if you're not planning to come for the race, just come for the event. It's going to be a really special night. Again, tickets will be up very soon, probably in the next three days. Hey, today you're listening to episode 195, and I'm talking with Jared Ward. Jared just announced that he is running the New York City Marathon this fall, which is super exciting. He is a 2016 Olympian. He placed sixth in the marathon in the Olympics in 2016. He is the father to four. He and his wife, Erica, have four children. You know I loved that, I loved talking to him about that. And we get to hear about Jared's career and his path to the marathon, which was pretty quick, and what his goals are for New York this fall, as well as making the Olympic team next year. I wanna let you know, if you enjoy this conversation with Jared, you can catch more conversations with him over on Matt Chittam's podcast, Road to the Olympic Trials. He's gonna be doing some interviews with Matt. He already did his first one. He's doing interviews with him over there as he leads up to the Olympic Trials. So listen in on this, and then if that excites you for what he's doing, you can catch up with him and hear more about his training over on Matt's show, Road to the Olympic Trials. And while we're talking about Jared going to New York, I want to let you guys know that the New York Roadrunners are doing a virtual world championship 5K, which is powered by Strava. It's taking place August 16th, so today through August 25th. And you can run to represent your country and help it take a top spot in the world championships leaderboard. They'll be updating the custom leaderboards throughout their race window. So you can run multiple times to help your country remain in the top spot. What I love about the New York Roadrunners virtual races is that you can take part in the larger global running community no matter where you live through their virtual racing series. So you run with thousands of people around the world through these virtual races and you make up your own course. The entry for the general entry is free and you can learn more and sign up when you go to nyrr.org 
slash virtual racing slash Lindsay. I will personally be signing up for this myself and you should too. Again, that's nyrr.org slash virtual racing slash Lindsay. All right, friends. I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Jared Ward. Today on the podcast, I'm super excited to welcome Jared Ward to the show. Welcome, Jared, to I'll Have Another. Hey, thanks, Lindsay. It's fun to be on. Yeah, you are one of those people that I like reach out to and then I forget about it and then I don't follow up and here we are. I don't even remember the last time I reached out, but here we are and we're finally doing it. Well, here's the thing. My email, I think it like the, the unread messages just keeps getting bigger and bigger. I'm not one of those that cleans up the unread messages. So I think I have 11,000 <gasps> unread emails. And um, so anyway, we could we could have got missed, you know, missed there in the connection too. But you just let them sit. So does the email notification on your phone say 11,000? Yes. That doesn't stress you out. You're just like, that's just how no, it is. No, it doesn't at all. Like I, I get on, I look at the, you know, the block of new emails. Mm-hmm. I open the ones I want to, and the rest of them just add to the 11,000. Okay. Just one more question about that. <laughs> is there like lots of ad stuff in there? Just like, you know, like stores and stuff? So I actually, I have like a promotional tab and a social tab, and that doesn't count the the mail that goes to those. So um, I don't, there's probably some of that mixed in, but it's not supposed to be that stuff. So it's, I mean, it, I don't know. It might be like 5,000 real emails. I don't know. Sure. I need to separate like that though, because like, you know, when you open your inbox and you have say 50 emails and half of them are just like old Navy, even though you've unsubscribed right. 400 times, like. I don't need that to be cluttering my brain, you know? No, but, but I like, I do not take my, it drives my wife nuts, but I do not take the time to like delete it. I just leave it. Yeah. (laughs) I I feel like there are two types of people in the world. The ones that have to get it down to zero and the ones just that just let it be. That's right. (laughs) Okay, Jared. Well, you just announced you're running in New York, which is really exciting. Are you pumped? I am so excited, Lindsay. Like this, um, you know, I, after Boston this spring and Boston was probably my best marathon. And I, I talked with coach, you know, even right after the race and said, so, uh, can we do a fall marathon? And he said, well, I don't know. Let's think about it. Um, but ultimately it came down to these conversations with coach me just saying, I am just so excited to run a fall marathon right now that the thought of not racing this fall was disheartening. Mm. And he said, okay, we'll race then. So yeah, I'm like, I'm so excited. That's so cool. Yeah. It seems like you, as an athlete, you can let the strategy of like, well, I don't want to race too many in one year. I don't want to burn out before the trials. You can like let that mentality own you, but you got to listen to your instincts. And obviously your instincts were saying like, you have to run it. Yeah. And I don't know you, the longer you run, the more you realize that, um, you know, kind of the the best, the perfect fitness cycles are cycles and they only come around every so often. And so where, where things are kind of clicking right now and I'm healthy, I, uh, I'm just so excited to keep racing. Who is your coach? Ed Eyestone. Okay. Tell me about his coaching philosophy. How long you've been with him? Does he coach a ton of elites? So Ed, uh, is the head coach at BYU. And so he was my coach in college 
and I've been fortunate to just uh, have been able to stay with him since, and he's he's uh, put up with continuing to write my workouts. But I felt so blessed to have him because he, as an athlete, he he ran at BYU, and he transitioned from a multiple-time national champion in college into a really accomplished road racer and marathoner for another 10 or 15 years after college in his career. And, and he made Olympic teams in the marathon in 88 and 92, um, and so I feel like I, I I was able to stick with a coach that I had success with in college and also a coach that did in his career exactly what I was trying to do in mine. And that was transitioning from a track athlete in college to a road racer and a marathoner post collegiately. And so I've been really blessed to have him and, and it's been, it's been me and coach and, and the BYU team. And I'm a volunteer assistant at BYU. And so I, I run with those guys and, and even train with those guys occasionally. Um, but then it's, you know, it's been sporadic with other athletes that have graduated and, and run for a little and then decide they're done or run for a little and then join another running group. Um, but the, the running crew just got bigger this last year because BYU graduated, uh, three, all-American caliber distance runners that all wanted to run professionally. And and Rory went down and joined the NAZ Elite in uh, Arizona, but Clayton and Connor are both sticking around. And so I ran a workout today with both those guys uh, coming fresh off of college success. And uh, and it's it's fun to have those younger guys to run with. They really keep me feeling young. Yeah. Do you think that your coach, Ben, in college saw a marathoner in you while you were competing in college? Yeah, yeah, you know, he he did say that early on and I don't know if it was some things in kind of my mechanics. He said he felt like I had a very efficient stride um and uh and some things like that, but also it just seemed like the workouts that I would do the best in were the long tempo like workouts and and so I was really I think probably naturally selected for the marathon, uh, but but coach did act like he had seen some of that. And in fact, I I had a situation in college where I had remaining track eligibility, but had run out of cross country eligibility. And coach had me run a marathon, the Chicago Marathon in 2013, when I was still in college. And then I came back and, and finished the track season. And um, I fell in love with the marathon even before I had run my first one. I, I loved the training. I loved the long runs. I loved the mileage. Um, maybe it was partly that I didn't love uh, oxygen debt training, and there was a lot less of that. Um, but, you know, there was just so many things about the marathon that I liked even in that first cycle. And I, I'm grateful that uh, Coach had seen some of that and really gave me a jump start early because I don't, I don't know that I had the potential on the track to really have a track career that transitioned into a marathon career, like you see with a lot of other um, professional marathoners. And so I think his um, his vision of moving me right to the marathon as soon as I was out of college and even in college uh, was, uh, was something that really springboarded my career. Yeah, when you say oxygen debt training, are you talking like super short intervals or are you talking like actually yeah. training at altitude? No, well, I'm just talking about super short intervals. I I don't particularly love 400s. <laughs> do you ever do them now? Yeah, occasionally, but not not often. And coach will still have me do 800 repeats and mile repeats certainly and and stuff where I get into oxygen debt and stuff where I work out on the track, but um but a lot less of that lactate max kind of work. 
Yeah. So do you ever think about, you know, not doing track days as a professional? Do you follow track as a sport and wonder what it would have been like to do that? Because you do see most marathoners kind of spend a stint of time in that before jumping into the marathon. Yeah, I I certainly wonder about that. And in fact, I I ran a track race this last summer uh, in Vancouver. It was the Canadian 10,000 meter national championships, but they they uh, they let other uh, runners from other nationalities into the field. And there were me and a few other Americans up there. And um, and it was a lot of fun. I, I had a short track training season after the Boston Marathon with some of these BYU guys that were running really, really well on the track um, and uh, got a little bit of that speed back. And I, I didn't have a great race in Vancouver. I ran just under 29 minutes. Um, but it was fun to be back on the track. And it was probably my first track race in four or five years. Uh, but I do, I, th- I think about it, you know, I think about, I think about my track personal bests and I, and I think, yeah, you know, I, I could have run some faster times there and, and I don't know, you know, I, I'm not ready to say that, um, that a new track 10 K personal best is, <laughs> is behind me, you know, but, um, but I certainly shifted the focus earlier and, and I'm grateful I did. I think, um, the, the exposure to the marathon has been good and, and I'm glad I got some of that exposure at a younger age because I because I think that's where I belong. When you did that marathon in 2013, Chicago, what what did you run it in? Two sixteen. Okay, so that was your debut marathon. Yeah. Okay. Uh, tell everybody, growing up, when you fell in love with running and knew that you were going to pursue that in college and then beyond. You know, looking back is always um, a little different than. Um, you know, than when you're looking forward years ago. And so I, you know, if I would love to go back into my you know, 10 year old mind and, uh, and just live a day in that mind and, and, um, see what I thought and what I knew and what I loved. Um, but as I look back, I, I definitely see that I, I liked running at a very young age and I, I didn't start running. I ran my first track race as a ninth grader, um, in junior high and I hadn't run track, uh, earlier than that. And I, I did run cross country with the high school team in ninth grade. Um, but I was really a soccer player before that and, and hadn't, um, focused on the running, but I always loved in PE, even in elementary school, when the day rolled around to run the mile. Mm. And, uh, I, I still remember as a, as like a fifth and a sixth grader, um, in, in elementary school, asking my PE teacher on a weekly basis, when are we going to run the mile? (laughs) And when she told me the mile is going to be next week, I spent the week in between that time. And when we ran the mile, finishing school, going out, setting my backpack down at the start line of where we run the, the elementary school PE fitness challenge mile. And I would run a mile and then I'd pick up my backpack and walk home. And I would do that every day up until we ran the race in, in, uh, in PE. And so I, you know, I, I, looking back, I recognized that I did love it, but I didn't fully commit to being a runner, um, and giving up some of the other things I was interested in, like, uh, like the soccer and, and I was a trumpet player and I was in the marching band and, and a few things like that until I was a junior in high school. And, and that it was then that I really thought, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be the best I can. What do you remember what you ran the mile in in ninth grade when you did the time mile? 
Yeah. So I, you know, back in, in elementary school in third grade, I ran 720 okay. and I was so excited. I'd run 720 that when I rolled around in fourth grade year, I ran 720 again. And I thought, oh man, I thought I could go faster. And then fifth grade, I ran 720 again. <laughs> and so it was that year after fifth grade before sixth grade mile time trial. So as a sixth grader, that I started practicing because I was so bent on running faster than 720 that sixth grade year. You finally got a six as your first number. Yes. uh, Yes. And then I, I did, I ran, I ran just below seven minutes as a sixth grader. And then, you know, and then I think as I grew it, it, uh, the times kind of came. Yeah. Okay. So you have four kids yourself. What are their ages? Seven, five, almost three and six months. Okay, we're like the exact same because I love it. Yeah, I know. Except, Isn't life fun? Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's fun, crazy, chaotic. Um, mine are seven, four and a half, two and a half, and one. So we're like exactly yeah. the same timeline. Um, is your oldest a girl or a boy? A boy. Okay, mine too. Well, mine are all boys, but you have some girls sprinkled in, right? Yes, my oldest is a boy, and then three girls. Oh, okay, three girls. Does your so your does your oldest son does he run? So he does a little and yeah. he, he likes the idea of it. He, he still tells me, um, when he grows up, he's going to play hockey to make his money okay. and, uh, other things like that. My, it's really, I think it's my five-year-old daughter, um, that really likes running. We had a mile this summer, uh, uh, in our hometown. And so every time I finished a run while she was getting ready for this, she wanted to run around the block with me and time it. And she kept it. She has this journal. She oh. would go back to her journal and she'd write in her invisible pen, the time that she ran that day. And, and, uh, so that was kind of fun to see, uh, you know, and who knows, who knows, um, you know, I'm excited for my kids to choose the things that they sure. love and see what happens, but maybe we got a runner in there somewhere. Oh my gosh, your daughter and her journal. That is too cute. <laughs> She's uh, I'm a little partial, but she is pretty cute. Yeah, that's like the sweetest thing I've ever heard. Tell me about, um, you know, people love to ask me this question. I think anytime someone hears you have like that many kids, they're like, how do you balance everything? Work, running, you know, managing a family. And it's not really the norm these days to have four plus kids, really. Um so talk to, maybe it is in the Mormon culture and we can talk about that too. Sure. But tell me what what do you focus on to make sure everything's kind of balanced in your life with the running and the family and the working? Well, you know, and I think that you know, you bring in Mormon culture and and I'm going to say uh you know, in a in a religious perspective in general, um, you know, but certainly certainly in my faith Family's important, and and family's important to everybody. But but when I go to church every week and am reminded the emphasis of family, and I hear, um, you know, I hear people in their sixties and seventies and eighties talking about their family and realizing how important their family is to them and how much that aspect of their lives has survived the test of time in terms of something that's important. It reminds me that the investment that I put into my family now is not going to be something that I think I'll regret 
in the future. And so it, it does, it takes, you know, and, and you, you mentioned it, it takes a balance and it takes prioritizing and it takes deciding what you really, really want. And it certainly means I watch a lot less Netflix than mm. some of the other athletes I'm racing against. Um, but, you know, I think I, I try to look at big picture and think, okay, what's going to matter the most to me when I'm reflecting back on these years in years to come. And what are, what are the things I can do right now that are going to make me the type of person that I want to be in five or 10 or 30 years down the road. And, and it really, um, you know, it seems like it always comes back to emphasis on family and it comes back to, to setting my children up for success and, and being excited for the journey of watching them navigate their way through life. And I, I really want to set them up, uh, with all the skills they need to do that. And part of that is, is me getting out and being the best that I can be at the things that I do. And so it, it becomes a motivator in my running when I'm on the start line thinking, you know, okay, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's time for me to give my kids the opportunity to see their dad go do something hard. And, um, and they know it's hard and they see me cross the finish line. And, um, and I think they, they kind of grasp that. And sometimes it comes at the expense of, uh, me having Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles songs stuck in my head or, or songs from trolls, you know, I don't know. Do you ever find that you like you get on a run and the song that's stuck in your head is obviously different from the song that's stuck in everybody else's head yeah. that you're running with? <laughs> Baby shark. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes, that's exactly right. And so anyway, so it, but um, but those are the things that remind me when I'm running that um, that my family is is kind of that aspect of my life that that's going to be my life forever. And so I, I try to prioritize things in that kind of a light. And, um, and if you ask me the same question in 20 years, I'll probably be able to tell you how I did it all wrong. But, uh, but that's kind of the, the approach that I take. Do you believe that you can find balance? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, someone, someone told me the other day, it was, it was my sister who's a, um, She's a psychiatrist and uh, or family practice um, psychologist, and she said, "I like the term juggling better than balancing." Mm. She said, "Nobody balances it perfectly. We're all juggling, and we're all going to drop balls, but you just try to make sure you don't drop the same ball over and over again." Mm, that's good. Yeah, it yeah, kind of works for me. Yeah. So, okay, you don't run on Sundays and did that start as because on Sundays you rest and you go to church and you do the family thing and that's kind of part of what you do with your faith but have you seen the benefits of that long term like even if you weren't a Mormon even if you weren't doing that because of that reason do you see like oh this would be a good thing regardless yes absolutely I you know I um you know, when I look at a training block, um, I don't see, you know, we're, we're 12 weeks from the New York City Marathon. I don't see 12 weeks until the marathon. I see this week getting through my long run on Saturday and then taking a break. And, um, and I think mentally that's worked for me and physically as well. You know, having this, this time when I say, okay, I get through, I get through Saturday and then my body gets to rest. And I think that means I can push it a little bit harder on my Tuesday and Thursday workouts and maybe dig down a little bit on my Saturday workout because I'm going to give myself that time 
to recover. And so I, I do think that, that there's a, um, that there's some, some benefit to that. And that, you know, in my, my, um, I don't know, faith, faith-based mindset, um, you know, tells me that that's because that's how it was designed. Mm, you know, we, mm-hmm. we, this is how things have been set up for us. And this is, it, it works because it's supposed to work. Um, and, but I do think it has made a difference and it's, it's awesome to have that day when, um, I wake up with my kids in the morning mm. and I get to say, yeah, dad doesn't have to run today. You know, what do you want to do? And, um, and that's, that's fun. Yeah. There's no other priority. That is so cool. Right. Um, speaking of that, do you feel, so you mentioned like your t- people you compete against might be watching more Netflix or whatever. Um, I find it so fascinating too, because as an elite runner, you really like have to capitalize on as much rest as possible. Um, but as a mother of four kids, I know <laughs> that like, like when I'm not doing the things I need to do for my work and, you know, if I want to work out or whatever, like if my kids are awake, I'm on my feet, like I'm not resting. Um, and same with my husband on the weekends when he's home, that's just, you're on your feet. Kids, kids are busy. So do you find that you get less rest than the average uh, elite marathoner. I mean, they're, you're not the only one that has a ton of kids, but you're right in the thick of it with them being real little. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true, but I, you know, I have to give credit to my wife who really, I think makes living the dream of being a professional athlete and having the wonderful family that I do possible. Mm. And it's, it's her sacrifice with the kids and my time and, and kind of facilitating, um, these opportunities for me. And we work in, we work in cycles. Um, you know, when I'm training for a marathon and I really get down into it, then, um, then she works even harder to give me more opportunities to rest. And, Mm -hmm. and I think we're, you know, we, we have young kids and it's active and we we're in the thick of it, you know, as you say, but it also means that one or two kids are going to be taking a nap every day. And so, you know, when, when my wife puts down a kid and, you know, I come home from a run, she says, Hey, Julie is asleep. Now's your chance. (laughs) And, uh, and so I can, you know, I can choose to take advantage of that or, or stay up. And I, I think I've also been blessed. I don't, I don't know that I require quite as much sleep as, um, some of the other athletes that I talk to. I just have a, I just have a body that, you know, doesn't need as much sleep and, and that's been a blessing. And we, you know, we, we work through that, you know, this Boston, the Boston buildup, um, this year was to me one of the toughest buildups because, um, Erica delivered our fourth in January and then the Boston marathon is (laughs) three months later in April. And so I thought, okay, how's this going to work? This isn't, this isn't a time where I can say, okay, you know, sorry, babe, I'm uh, off doing my own thing. Um, good luck. (laughs) Um, but it's also a time when I felt like to, to run well in Boston, I had to focus. And so, you know, I, I bought a treadmill and, uh, Santa Claus bought gymnastics equipment for the kids and we put it all in the basement and I would herd the three kids downstairs and say, okay, show me your tricks on the, on the bars and I would run on the treadmill and I probably ran 40 miles a week uh, or 50 miles a week on a treadmill getting ready for Boston. And, and I missed some sleep, right? You know, my wife is uh, taking care of the baby through the night and that, you know, that meant to me, I'm taking care of the other three kids, yeah. <laughs> which, which, uh, which as you know, even if they're good sleepers, the lottery says somebody's <laughs> going to be up in the night. Um, 
And so, you know, that was my role was taking care of the other three kids. And I thought, Hey, I'm losing sleep. I don't know how this is going to go. And then Boston went great. And, you know, and so it was just kind of a reminder to me of, yeah, you just, you, you keep doing the best thing you can. You wake up on race day and you run hard and, um, and it works. Yeah. Let's talk about Boston. You're 209. Did that feel like a breakthrough race for you? Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I, Coming off of of the last Olympic cycle, um, my my personal best came in Rio, and it was two eleven thirty, but it was hot and humid, and and I really thought when I ran that race, I said, okay, on on good conditions, in good conditions, I can run two oh nine. That was to me when I finished that race, I said, okay, that was a two oh nine effort if you take me and put me in a nice race. Um, but then it was a couple years of of uh, injuries. I'd, I'd been training through uh, pubic bone stress reactions and eventually fractures going into Rio. And I was so fit that um, that I was able to race through the injuries. I really was probably in the fittest, uh, fittest I've ever been going into Rio. But I was pretty banged up and I had pushed through that so much that it took a long time after the Olympics to really figure out the injuries, figure out the recovery and get healthy again. And then after I got that healthy, I, I had uh, 2018 was the year of pulled hamstrings and I pulled my hamstring twice. And I, you know, I just, it had been this long time of a couple of years of things just not quite coming together. And I ran some marathons, but I didn't run great ones. And um, in the back of my mind, I still thought, no, I can break 210 because I've been there before. I, you know, I've, I haven't done it, but I've been in that kind of shape before. And, and so I, you know, I wrote 209 on my mirror and, um, and I kept staring at it. And, uh, and so when I woke up in Boston and it was super rainy, I thought, um, you know, I don't know if it, today's going to be the day, but then when we got to the start line and the rain had cleared and the weather was mild, I thought, okay, today's the day, you know, um, I'm going to give it a go and see what happens. And, uh, and it ended up coming together, but it, but it was, it was one of those very rewarding, uh, running experiences because I'd been, I'd been hungry for it for so long. Yeah. Now I've asked uh, Scott Fobble the same question, so I'm going to ask you, but the other way around. What's it like competing with, I guess you're helping each other out during the race because you both want to place high as an American, but then also competing against someone like Scott and Scott Fobble, who's having kind of some breakthrough years as well. Yeah. So what did Scott say? Oh, he was like, Jared's amazing. Like, he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Like, he was just all the good stuff. Well, it sounds like I better return compete, the favor. Compete with that, Jared. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I ran, um, I ran, a, I went and trained in Flagstaff a year ago in the summer, and I did some runs with Scott, and we ran one of the runs was the toughest long run that I'd ever run. And he wrote about it in his, uh, in his book inside a marathon. Uh, we did 20 miles of one mile at marathon pace, one mile a minute slower than marathon pace. And, um, and man, I finished that workout and, uh, you know, we, I finished that workout and I was like, Oh, Scott and I are going to win New York. Like <laughs> that was, you know, and you know, it's just like this, um, you know, this moment of realizing, um, that, uh, that I had done something I didn't think I could do and that Scott was right there next to me. And, you know, I raced against Scott in college. We were, we, we went to rival, um, colleges in our conference. 
and then and then have raced him since. And I've always respected um, how tough he is. You know, he's it, it's not like it's not like I can look at Scott. You know, everyone has I, as a competitor, you you look at your competition and and you try to find the chinks in the armor um, for how you're going to beat him on race day. And and we're all friends and uh, and I love the guys that I'm racing against. But when we're competing, we're competing. And when you look at Scott for chinks in his armor, you just don't find any. He's he's tough. And he's just a he's just a tough runner. And even when Scott's breathing hard or his form's starting to break down, it doesn't mean that Scott's done. Um, and so, for me, running next to Scott in the Boston Marathon is is a whole um, a whole melding together of exciting opportunity for American distance running, nerve wracking and terrifying and, and all of that wrapped into one. But it was so, it was so fun to be uh, shoulder to shoulder with him uh, leading some of those later miles in the Boston marathon thinking, Hey, Scott and I um, we're, we're running with some of the best marathon runners in the world. And, uh, and that was fun. Yeah. It was just fun. And you can say you guys are some of the best marathoners in the world. I guess now maybe you can, you yeah. can, you can say, it. I can say it. You do, you maybe want to be a little more humble. I don't know. You, I could say it though. I mean, cause you guys flip flopped from New York to Boston, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you were ahead of him in New York and then he was ahead of you in Boston, right? Yes. Correct. Okay. Is he running New York? No, he's uh he's just waiting until the trials. Okay. What do you think about that? Do you think, tell me about that strategy with, people that are waiting and people that are running. I mean, I get why you're doing it. We heard that, but what do you think about people who are waiting? Well, it's, it's, it's a fine strategy, right? And, and I think, you know, when coach and I were talking initially, coach said, Hey, last Olympic cycle, we didn't have you run a fall marathon. And so maybe we do the same thing. Um, and, and my counter was just that I'm a little bit more of an experienced marathoner now. Mm -hmm. Um, and having more marathons on your legs means that not only do I know more going into the marathon in terms of what I'm capable and am I really healthy and am I going to come out of this healthy, but it also means um, I, I think I have a higher likelihood of recovering quickly after the marathon and bouncing back just because my body's, you know, now nine or 10 marathons adjusted to that. And so I, you know, I think and we, we watched Meb run New York before the trials last year and the same thing two years ago. Um, and, but he was a calloused marathoner. And so my, my feeling, and if, if it was, you know, if I was coaching, coaching an athlete going into the trials would be, you know, how experienced of a marathon are you? How much, how confident are you in your ability to turn around? Um, do we need to play conservative or, or is it okay to, to say, Hey, we'll get another race. And, and there's advantages to either one, you know, the, the obvious advantage to not running a marathon in the fall to me is, well, I didn't just run a marathon, so maybe my risk of injury goes down or, or I'm not going to be as burnt out from racing. But the flip side of that is a lot of times going into the trials, athletes, you know, think about one race for 
you know, nine, 10 or 12 months straight. And if you think about one race for so long and every workout, you're thinking about that race, then I think you have a high likelihood of being burnt out mentally by the time you actually get to the race or, or being fit in December and January and, and then being physically burnt out by the time you get to February. And so, you know, my, my logic was that I think I can recover fast. I, I think, uh, I think that the Atlanta course is a hilly course and there's, there's not a lot of experienced, um, professional marathon runners on hilly courses. There's just, the reality is that most, most world major marathons are relatively flat and, and fast and most Olympic and world championship marathons are relatively flat and, and they try to make them fast. And so I think to me, the experience of running one more New York on a mildly hilly course, or maybe you'd say more than mildly, will help me get ready for Atlanta. And having something to focus on in November gives me the chance to keep the Olympic trials way back on the back burner and focus on New York before hitting a reset switch and then focusing on the trials. And so I think you know, I have it worked out in my mind, but ultimately I think it's, it's the mentality of an athlete. And, and if someone's excited about doing something and passionate and, and you've worked it out in your mind that what you're doing is the best thing for you, then that's, that's what you stick with. And, and that's what, you know, I hope coaches are coaching. Hey friends, a quick break to talk about a couple sponsors here. And the first is Sweaty Betty. Sweaty Betty is the apparel that I am rocking on the daily loving their apparel. This is a woman-owned company with a female empowerment message. We've talked about the power leggings, the zero gravity leggings, the awesome sports bras, and today I want to tell you about this tank top that I am obsessed with. It is called the Breeze Short Running Tank. Okay, so this is a shorter tank and it's flowy, which is great. So you wear it with those leggings that are higher up so your belly still doesn't show and it sits super comfortably in this really great spot and it's just a really flattering look. So the Breeze Short Running Tank. I have it in white and I have it in that rich royal blue. That's super cute and you can pair it with the power leggings or the zero gravity leggings. That is the tank top I bought another one of. So I have a white one and then I just bought the blue one because I love it so much. Sweaty Betty's apparel is made with the best technical fabrics that are made to last and I want you all to get in on this. You can get 20% off your order when you go to sweatybetty.com and use the code ANOTHER. Again, you can get 20% off your order when you go to sweatybetty.com and use the code ANOTHER. All right, and the other sponsor I want to thank for this episode is Koala Clip. This is what I'm carrying my phone in on every single run. It is sweat resistant. Even if your back gets all sweaty because it's hot out and it's summertime, your phone stays safe in the Koala Clip. You put it in the koala clip, you clip that sucker to your sports bra in the back, and you get on your merry way with your run. You can listen to podcasts or music while you do that. And this is the best way I have found to carry my phone on the run. You won't find me running without it. So go to koalaclip.com and use the code ANOTHER for 10% off your order. And go support that small business. Christina, the founder, is working hard over there, and she came up with a really amazing product that I'm proud of for her. I didn't come up with it, but I'm proud of it because I know how hard she worked on it. So again, that's koalaclip.com. Use the code another for 10% off and make your runs so much more enjoyable with that koala clip. All right, friends, let's continue my conversation with Jared Ward. 
So will you be laser focused on New York or will the trials like kind of be lingering in your mind a little bit? How do you keep that balance? You know, I am focused on New York okay. and the, I, I'm going to keep the trials close enough into into the perspective that if I begin to feel injury in the buildup or, um, you know, some, I guess, particularly injury, but, but burnout and things like that, I'm going to be a lot more sensitive to it because it is going to be a tight turnaround. I think it's 17 weeks between New York and the trials. And, and I need that to go relatively smooth. There's, there's a few weeks worth of air in there, but there's not a lot. And so, so I will have the trials in focus in so much that if I'm feeling, um, some sort of ache or pain come end of September, or early October, I'm going to be a little bit more sensitive to that than if I was just focused on New York. I might say, Hey, I can try to, I can roll the dice a little bit and I can push through this and, and maybe get to the taper and still put together a great race with the trials so close. I'm going to be a little more conservative, but, but aside from, from really aches and pains, injury and burnout, I'm, I'm laser focused on New York. What's your favorite thing about New York? Oh man. Uh, the energy I, you know, I, I remember being, so last year was my second time running it and I was ready for the energy coming off the Queensboro bridge onto first Avenue at about 15, 16 miles and ready for that to carry me. And I thought if I can get to first Avenue feeling even marginal, then that energy is really going to carry me for a few miles. And then, and then I can dig down the last few, but I remember feeling the crowds in as early as Brooklyn, uh, three miles in. And, and I'd love that. Um, I just love that feeling, you know, New York, New York is, is this cultural melting pot of the world. And so New York has this feel more than any other race, like the Olympics where people are coming together, whether it's in the race or whether it's spectators running the race with, with so many different, um, cultures and ethnicities and backgrounds. And, um, it's just a, it's just a fun place for an event like a marathon to take place. And, and I think that's what I most look forward to. I, you know, the, the goal that I currently have is, is, you know, the, one of the highest goals on my list is to finish top three at a major marathon. And, um, and so when I think of New York, I think of this opportunity to go race in this amazing city, um, and take take part in this amazing race. But also, I have now another opportunity to to claw for the for a spot on the podium, and that's pretty exciting to me too. Are you finding confidence from your finishes in New York and Boston last year in that two oh nine? to think this is the chance to podium is, is it the field that's out there? Where are your thoughts coming from with the top three this time? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, Desi, there was a quote from Desi talking about, um, another chance to race Mary Katani at New York and, and Mary's, um, you know, arguably the best marathoner in the world. Yeah. Um, and, and Desi just said, well, what you do is you run the best race you can and, um, and you be ready to take advantage of an opportunity if it comes your way. But if Mary goes out and runs, yeah. you know, what she has run before, then, then you just, you know, there's maybe nothing you can do. And, and that's kind of the approach that I take. Now, when I look at the field, I definitely think, um, that there's a possibility this year. I think there's, there's some quality runners. There's, there's three guys, um, that are, 
some of the best marathoners in the world. Um, and then there's another three or four guys that I think, Hey, these are, you know, three or four guys that are, you know, that I, I would view myself, you know, within their caliber in terms of achievements and potential and things like that. And so it definitely means I have to run uh, a great race relative to the guys that are kind of on my level. And I probably need one of the three guys up front to have an off day, Yeah, but <laughs> But, but if they do, I want to be in position to take advantage of that. Yeah. And so, and so that's what I think about. And, um, and so I, I definitely look at the field, but I also look at, you know, where I'm at and where I've been. And I think, okay, last year at New York, I went into it with really low expectations. I'd had a pulled hamstring through September. Um, I was ready to drop out of the race and David Monty, uh, just encouraged me to come. And he said, hey, Jared, if you only make it halfway, that's okay. Just come and run. And I said, okay, you know, if, if there's no pressure, then, then I'll come and give it a try. And, and it went well, it went really well. And so I kind of surprised myself there. And then in this Boston buildup, I tried to be really conservative thinking, okay, I'm losing sleep. We have mm -hmm. this new baby. Um, you know, this is certainly not a perfect buildup. So I, you know, I didn't push workouts quite as much and I didn't extend myself quite as much. And I just tried to stay healthy. I was worried not only about getting injured, but about getting sick, just thinking if I'm tired all the time and I'm not getting sleep, then, then I can, you know, I can get sick and I can, and there's all sorts of things that can happen. And so I was relatively conservative and towards, we started getting close to Boston and I thought, Hey, I actually think I'm pretty fit. And so coming off of those two experiences, I think if I can string together a really strong, healthy next year, then I'm very optimistic. Um, I'm very optimistic of my potential and, and maybe, maybe, uh, being in a position to run faster than I've run before. And, and so that fuels the excitement too. So it, certainly all of the above. Yeah. And when you're talking about getting on the podium, I mean, we're talking to someone who plays sixth, which I think people forget or glaze over sometimes when they look at your resume and what you do. Like you literally play sixth in the Olympics in 2016. That's a big deal. Well, thank you. That uh, it was a surprising, surprising finish in a number of ways. But the uh, the media at the finish line definitely made fun of me for being <laughs> the most excited sixth place finisher they'd ever seen. But it, but if so. you look at your numbers, like like you're saying, like if you look at the men that you were competing against, placing sixth was a big deal. Yeah, and I and but I think that that's you know, and that's part of growing growing up and learning in sport that. You know, I, I, I think I used to stand on start lines and say, okay, I'm seed number 24. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's where I'm supposed to finish. And, and now with some experience and I guess being a stats guy too, I think, okay, a third of these guys were injured. So I don't know which ones, but I'm just going <laughs> to take, I'm just going to take a third out and, and then another third of these guys, um, are either overcooked or they're going to race. They're going to, they're going to miss calculate their pace and they're going to blow up. And so I'm going to take out another third. Uh -huh. And so when I'm on the start line, I think, okay, there's 20 good guys here, but, but it's only going to be a third of them. And, and certainly I could fall into one of the other categories, right? But, sure. but if I'm healthy and if I feel like I'm in a good position and if I feel like my race plan, um, is on point, then I can count myself with the, the healthy ready to racers. And I think, I don't know which six of you it is, but it's six of you and, uh, and me. <laughs> That's a healthy, positive mental attitude right there. I guess. I'm just scratching people off the list. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, in, in the Olympics in 2016, when you got to six, we had Galen in third, and then we had Meb behind you. Um, 
can you say like who are the guys that you're like okay these are the guys on the start line at the trials that I got to compete against to make this team are there any dark horses that nobody's talking about um yeah there are you know there's so there's obviously Galen you know he's gonna he's gonna run Chicago this year and we'll see how he's recovered from um from his surgery last year, but, um, but everybody counts Galen in and, yeah. and I certainly do as well. I mean, he's, um, he's coached by a former world record holder and, and one of the, one of the most successful U S coaches and, uh, and he's had a lot of success and he's very, he's talented and he's tough. He's, he's so tough. Um, and so you count Galen in, um, and then, you know, Scott and I with, with breakthrough races in Boston, um, certainly there. And then, and then there's a handful of guys, um, that we're looking at, you know, the Shadrach Biwat has been on the podium in major marathons and close since the last Olympic cycle. And he's running the world championships this year. And then, and then, and then there's, there's a whole slew of guys that I feel like are, well, there's, there's the Tyler Pinnells and, and the Matt Yano's and, and, um, Luke Piscedra's retired now, but some of these guys that finished well at the trials, uh, last round that are still running now and, and kind of have a little bit more experience than they did the round before. And then there's new guys. There's the, the Chris Derricks that have transitioned off the track and, and moved up to the marathon. You know, what, you know, this, what Scott Fobble was before this breakthrough and, um, and that are right there. And there's, you know, there's other guys that are going to debut. There's, there's Heron Legat and, and maybe some of these other guys it, with the American distance project that training in, um, Colorado Springs. And, and I know as soon as this podcast is over, I'm going to think, Oh, I forgot. I those know, three guys. I know. But, but, but there is, there, there's just so many, um, I didn't prep you for it guys. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I got to throw my, uh, so my training partners that I'm running with, uh, you know, these guys and, and former BYU guys like Nico that have run two thirteen. you know, there's, Are there's so many the guys. Trials? Yeah. Okay. And you know, just so many, I don't know. There's so much that can happen at the Olympic trials. There, you're going to have guys that are debuting um, the marathon there that are that we just don't know. And on a course like Atlanta, where it's where it's hilly, um, you know who knows. So it's yeah, it's going to be a fun race. Do you like the hills? You know, I like the downhills, and so <laughs> same. So, so if it's a, if it's a uh, start and finish in the same spot, and there's uphills, there's got to be down, right, Lindsay? Is that why you like? Like, do you think you excelled on Boston for that reason? Because there's more down than up. Yeah, yeah, I do. And so that's that's a good thing you're doing New York then, because that's not so much of a net downhill. No, yeah, it's gonna give me a little a little chance to work on my uphill and and still kind of keep in in uh, check the the strength of running that downhill. Will Atlanta be the hilliest course you've ever done? I think so. And then, yeah. how do you feel? And maybe explain this to the listeners about what's changed in the rules of making the Olympic team because they gave everybody that time that you had to do what 2:11:30 for the men was that what it was Uh-huh, correct. And now are they just taking the top 3 regardless what's happening? Everything keeps changing. <laughs> it does. Yeah, at, you know, it might be different next week, Lindsay, who knows. <laughs> um yeah, it has been it has been a year kind of a whirlwind of of this new system that 
um, that the IAA, the international governing body of track and field, is implementing um, really at the request of the International Olympic Committee trying to keep the, the heat sizes for, for all of the track and field and marathon races where they want it. And so it's it's kind of this game as they figure out this new system of how everything's going to work within the system. And and so, yeah, you know, at, at first glance, I think a lot of a lot of the athletes were saying, okay, we need to go out and get this standard. They took a standard that was 219 last Olympic cycle that 150 or 200 Americans had hit. And so the U.S. just said, okay, if you've hit the Olympic standard, you can run in the Olympic trial. And so everyone is eligible for selection into the Olympics that's in the Olympic trial race. And so the U.S. says, yep, top three, you get to go. And so there's kind of two criteria that you have to hit. You have to hit the Olympic standard, which is the Olympics saying, yes, you got the green check mark, you're quality enough to compete in the Olympics. And then you have to have your country decide to send you or your delegation within your country to send you as one of those green check marks. And so this year, the Olympics said, okay, we're taking the standard from 219 down to 211.30. Well, when they said that, there was nobody that had the standard. I mean, they, they, they tightened up the window. And so when they announced it, we were only uh, you know, two months into the, the window to have hit that standard, but no guys had run that. And then um, Scott and I got the qualifier mark at Boston. Um, there's a few other provisions for qualifying top finishes at major races and other things, but so not just the time, but, but Scott and I checked out or checked off our, our qualifiers at Boston. And then we were the only two with the green check mark from the Olympics. And so then it comes to, you know, the trials. Well, how are we going to use the trials to select a team and how many more guys with green check marks are we going to have at the end of the fall? And there's also a ranking system that the, that the Olympics uses at the end, you know, at the end of the qualifying window to give a few other people green check marks. And so are we going to say, okay, we're going to use the Olympic trial and we're going to wait and see if a top three finisher later has the green check mark or if they've already got it, or are we just going to say it's only the the green check marks by the time we hit the Olympic trial or, you know, and so there's just this whole debate on how we were going to select a team. And I think athletes were scrambling, not knowing exactly how the U S was going to decide how to select the team. And really with, with ever changing, um, international rules. Uh, so everyone thought, okay, we need to get the standard. And I think there was kind of a scrambling of how can we get the standard? And, and I expected two or three or four more other guys to have the standard this fall, but then, the, the international governing body decide to kind of give the U.S. a pass and say, you know what, one of these other provisions that we'll give you for the Olympic standard is if you finish top five at the qualifier race. And so that made it so that the U.S. could, could simultaneously, someone could earn the standard for the Olympics by finishing in the top three at the Olympic trials and the U.S. would give them the go ahead. And so it kind of took this complicated system and made it all of a sudden really simple. Again, you just got to finish top three at the trials. Yeah. It takes the pressure off too, because that course is so hilly. I just can't imagine going into it thinking I need to get top three, but I also need to run a really big PR and, you know, break that to 1130 because who who knows what you guys are going to run in Atlanta. 
For sure. And and certainly for guys that thought they were capable of getting that standard and hadn't got it already, then then they were out to do two things at the trials. And so it, it kind of made for an interesting story in terms of are there going to be two packs of runners going out, one at the standard, which on that course is is you know, a certain risky at the least and, and maybe a, a death march at the, yeah. at the, at the most, you know, and so are, is there going to be two packs and are the, are the top runners going to, that already have the standard anyway. So yeah, there were a lot of hypotheticals before now it's just, uh, it's just back to, Hey, we just got to go and compete at the trials. And, and, you know, on one hand, it seemed like, um, maybe for guys like me and Scott that had already achieved the Olympic standard, we, we may have had an easier path to the Olympics, um, given some, some method of the old system, but, but really I think it's, it's probably better for the sport. Um, and certainly easier, uh, easier for, for fans to watch the Olympic trial and, and it kind of preserves that American dream, right? Of if you're at the Olympic trial, you just got to finish in the top three and then, then you're in. It makes it more exciting to watch as a fan, honestly. Yeah, for sure. Why do you think the Olympics wanted that standard so low? Like, took that much time why do they want less people running the marathon at the olympics see i think that's a fantastic question i you know they've been limiting numbers of athletes as they've added new events and tried to keep caps at 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 certain numbers overall per my understanding but yeah the marathon's one of those where i think why do you have standards at all like we should we should let every country in the world send three athletes to the marathon. Yeah. It's, you know, are we running out of road or right? Right. I mean, like we, we run marathons with 50,000 people in it at New York. I think, you know, I think a field size of 600, I don't know. I don't know why they decided that, um, that they needed a smaller field size, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think the marathon is just kind of one of those iconic Olympic events and, I don't know. I don't see the harm of letting out anybody, any country play in the marathon. Yeah, I agree. And it's just, it's cool. It's cooler. I mean, it's, it is a cooler experience to have more countries and people represented. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming your family, all four kids and your wife will, if, if you make it to the Olympics, well, I don't know, Tokyo. Whoa. Will they go? I think so. Yeah. yeah? You know, last Last round in Rio, my wife was 38 weeks pregnant with our third nope. uh, when I <laughs> when I raced, and so she was home. And um, you know, my my wife is just she's one of those. I don't. Know, I think she's perfect. She's uh, oh. she's so supportive, and like you know, I never feel any pressure from my wife. I get the you know I get the same hug and kiss after a race. She never she never like has this this financial picture of the running aspect or this, you know, she's, she's just concerned with how I feel after the race and am I healthy and am I happy with it? And so she has this just undying support for my running. But I did sense after Rio that when she would ask, do you think you're going to do another one? There was like this glimmer of hope that maybe she could be a part of that Olympic experience. And, um, and so I want her to have that experience and I want my kids to. And so, so if things work out in Tokyo, then, then yes, we're, we're bringing the crew. That's awesome. So will, I'm just thinking of flight logistics here with four little kids. (laughs) Will there be a grandma and grandpa coming to help? Will you be, will you all be on the flight together? That's a, it's a long journey. 
Yeah, it is a long ways, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna give it a dry run this fall. I'm taking all my kids to England for the Great North Run Half Marathon in September. Cool. And so we're gonna give it a try, and this one we are gonna have no grandparent, and okay. so um, we'll see how Europe works with no grandparent, at least in an English speaking country. Um, but then yes, if, uh, if things work out for, uh, for the Tokyo experience, I think I, you know, I hope to have many grandparents and, um, mm. and, uh, and kind of an experience there. That's so cool. I, so when you guys go the great North run, that's a half, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. That's like the net downhill one, right? So it doesn't qualify as like a record course or something. I think so. And it might even be more that it's point to point. point, to point. I, you okay. know, I'm not sure. I think it's relatively flat. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, you know, I've seen, it's just been one of those halves that I've wanted to run for so long that I'm excited to be in it. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I remember this because when I interviewed Kara Goucher, her time on that was technically, it was like the American record, but she was like, but it doesn't count because it must be the point to point uh, thing. She was like, don't get me wrong. It's a hard race. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So you and your wife are going to go with the four kids, just the, the six of you for that race. Do you wonder, or does it stress you out? Or are you just a laid back kind of guy that like <laughs> the stress, even if you try for it not to be stressful of flying with four kids that far will like wear you down emotionally at all so that it, that it might affect your race? Sure. Sure. I think that's, always a possibility and it and it is in the back of my mind but um but I think you know the reason that I do this is is partly because this is a fun mm -hmm. experience for the whole family and so if uh if they never get to come along on some of these fun ones then to me you know why I run becomes a little less meaningful and so so I'm willing to take the gamble I love it that's amazing oh that's so good all right Jared let's do into the podcast questions all right. What is one thing professionally or personally that you haven't done that you'd like to do? So uh, professionally, certainly I think about a top three finish at a major marathon. Um, I don't know about personally. There's a lot of things. Have more kids. <laughs> yes, right? <laughs> Did you always want to have a big family? Yeah, my wife and I both come from families of four. Okay. And um, yeah, I always joke with her that I want 10 kids. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, We'll see. I don't, we, I mean, we have four right now yeah. and, and right now four is great. And so we'll, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> oh yeah. If my husband told me that I said, that's fine, but I don't know that it's going to be biologically, which is totally fine. I just don't know <laughs> right. that I want to endure that again. Yes. And I'm okay with that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is the best, most recent book you've read? So I love marathon man, the, the book on Boston, Billy, okay. um, in terms of, of a running book, um, man, non-running I've been reading, uh, I've been reading some Sherlock Holmes lately and that's been pretty fun. I don't know why that doesn't surprise me. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> that's hilarious. Right. Um, who, speaking of, of Boston Billy in that book, who are, who do you look up to in the sport? Maybe that's retired or passed on or still kicking butt. So, I was on a run today, this morning, warming up, and we were talking about the Great North Run a few years ago where Mo Farah raced Geber Selassie and uh, uh, Bekele. Weird, weird uh, brain fart because <laughs> I'm a huge Bekele fan. Um, so we were on a run, 
uh, this morning warming up talking about the Great North Run where Farah and Bekele and Geber Selassie raced and talking about how amazing that was um, to watch the older Geber Selassie and the younger Farah and the kind of towards the end of his prime Bekele. Um, and so I'm I'm a fan of the sport and I, I have four kids, so I'm not into being a fan of the sport as much as I like to be um, sometimes. But I, I love um, a lot of those names that have kind of paved the way in our sport and um, and made it popular for everybody. And so I look up to so many people in the sport. I you know warming up in Rio next to Meb Kofleski was so exciting to me. Um, and having him give me pre-race advice um, was an experience. I always love my time with Ryan Hall. I, I watched him uh, competing you know, kind of as I was coming into this, this sport in college and, and recognizing I was probably going to be a marathoner. He was right on the top of his game. I, you know, I enjoy spending time with Abdi, um, and Ritz and like, so a lot of these kind of, I guess, big brothers, if you will, in the sport, um, in, on the American side, I certainly look up to and, and have a lot of respect for and an appreciation for, but then also these guys on the internationals, uh, stage, Erica has made fun of me for um, at New York when we were there a couple of years ago and Elliot Kipchoge walked into mm-hmm. the room and he wasn't racing, you know, he was just there, uh, to be kind of part of marathon weekend, but I like, you know, <laughs> kind of got big eyes and turned around and sat down and whispered to her who it was. And, <laughs> and she said, go shake his hand. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, but, uh, <laughs> it was just like this. Um, so anyways, I'm a fan of the sport in general. <laughs> so did you, you didn't go shake his hand? No, I didn't, but um, someday I will. I was going to say, do you wish you would have? Yes, but, um, uh, you know, mostly I just, I want to have the opportunity to be on start lines with him too. Like while I, while I appreciate how incredible of a runner he is and that, you know, if we are on the start line together, he's finishing the marathon when I still got one or two miles to go. uh, It's still exciting to me to think, okay, I'm racing, I'm racing with the best. You totally are. Does it is it weird to you to think on another like in another way that there are people that see you in a hotel on Marathon Weekend and think, oh my gosh, that's Jared Ward? And how do you <laughs> react when fans do that? Well, you know, my um, my wife keeps me humble, <laughs> um, and you know that's what she'll say. She'll say, oh man, if they could just see you hanging out with the kids, they'd realize, you know you're, you're, ju- you're this dad yeah. that has kids and loves playing with his kids, just like all dads do. Yeah. And, um, anyway, so I don't know, I guess I, I see that sometimes occasionally at, at big marathons and things where there's, there's a lot of fans of our sport in, you know, in one hotel or in one city. But, um, but for the most part, I'm, uh, I'm that marathon runner down the street that sure runs a lot. <laughs> What's the best or what's your favorite, one of your favorite nonprofits to support? So I love Operation Underground Railroad that supports or fights against human trafficking. Okay. Operation Underground Railroad. We will put that in the show notes. Perfect. Thank you. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Who most proud of? That seems pretty like climactic Mm. Uh, I uh you know I'm I'm pretty proud of like my family Mm -hmm. like this 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 uh you know there's six of us and that things just work 
Um, I don't know. I think that's probably my most proud accomplishment is just the, the family that my wife and I are running. What's the biggest, like when you look back and your kids are 25 and you're 55 or whatever, what do you want them to remember most of their, at their, about their childhood? Um, that, that no matter what dad had going on in his life, he always had time for them. Mm. That's good. Okay. This question. I'd normally say if you could have coffee or cocktail with someone fun, motivating or inspiring, who would it be? But you're going to have like a diet Coke, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> caffeine free. Yes. Cause is that, and that's not always caffeine free. I feel like I know a lot no, of Mormons who just like diet, no. diet, Dr. Pepper is like their jam. No, that's a me thing. That's so that's just a me thing. Does your wife drink. do the caffeine free too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So hard. Co- okay. So diet caffeine free Coke, who are you having it with? <laughs> So I would love to sit down with Roger Federer. I know the name, but I don't. Tennis player. Okay. Roger Federer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What would you ask him? Oh man, I would just be so ready to listen. I don't know. I think I you know, I'm a I'm a tennis fan. I mean I'm a fan of a lot of sports, but to me, watching those guys play, you know, long, long matches, you know, he just in fact Federer just lost a long uh, Wimbledon match to Djokovic a few weeks ago. And watching that match was so amazing to me. Like, I I don't know. I think I'd ask him probably all the same questions that someone sits down and asks me. I'd ask him what he eats and what it, what he trains and, and how does he balance having four kids and being the best tennis player ever in the world. And, you know, I don't know. <laughs> probably ask him all the same dumb stuff people ask me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Two more questions and I let you get back to your kids. Okay. The most important thing. Um, what is something new you'd like to try? Something new I'd like to try. Uh, sailboating. Sailboating. Okay, Jared. And the big one, what is one message you'd like to send to the world? I think, you know, maybe it sounds cliche, but just to be your best. Um, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of joy to be found in this world by finding things that maybe we're good at, but mostly that we're just passionate at, passionate about, and trying to become a little bit better at it. That's good. All right, Jared. Well, get back to your kids and <laughs> happy training for New York. Right on. Well, thanks, Lindsay. I appreciate you having me on. Okay. Have a great rest of your day. Okay. You too. Thanks. All right. Thanks so much, Jared, for coming on the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Who else felt uplifted after hearing that conversation? How about when Jared said that his wife was perfect? I like As he said that, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the sweetest thing I've ever heard. You all can follow Jared's training for the New York City Marathon. And then the Olympic trials, when you go to jwardy21, you can find him on Instagram. I noticed today, actually, he is taking over the New York City Marathon Instagram. So that was, this is Thursday that I'm recording this. So if you're listening to this on Friday, you can check out the action over on the New York City Marathon Instagram. You can see what Jared's up to. You can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine. And you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine 
where we have a group as well, and you should definitely get in on that group. It is where the good stuff goes down. You can also find additional bonus episodes from myself, my husband, Glenn, and loads of returning guests and extended conversation with guests over on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Hine to get access to that. And don't forget, I'm hosting a live event with Dina Castor and Sally McRae. Saturday, November 9th in Indianapolis. Save the date. I cannot wait for this event. It is going to be so special and just special. That's the word I keep coming up with. It's just the word that keeps coming to my brain is how special it's going to be. Hey, it's going to be special. All right. Yeah. So sign up for my email list and make sure that you are first to know about the event. lindsayhine.com. And you'll see a little tab that pops up that says sign up for the newsletter. Make sure you're signed up there. All right. That was too fun. That conversation was so fun with Jared. You guys have a really great rest of your Friday. Have a wonderful weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.